you'd like to uh, turn to your Bibles in 1 Timothy chapter 1, that's the chapter that we will be in today. We are going through a series this whole year entitled um, Serious uh, Living Our Lives Seriously. And so we are on serious living at this point. How are we to live in a serious way to honor God and be serious about our lives doing His will? So today I want to read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do His work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blasphemy the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will recognize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Uh, let us pray. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for the scripture, and we ask you to guide us in understanding what it means to us and applying it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this uh, section of text... Uh, and, and by the way, I think, I think this, this book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, is a really good one to keep in mind when we are living our lives, uh, taking them seriously. So I think we're going to go through the book of 1 Timothy and apply it to our church lives and, and the body of Christ. And so when I read this section, which comes after the, uh, the sermon last week, it speaks to me um, one specific point about living our lives seriously for Christ. And Paul makes it very easy to pull out because he says, um, this is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now he puts it plain and straight out there for us. And in this one trustworthy saying that everyone should accept is a mission for the church and a personal application. A mission. Christ Jesus came into this world. Now that was his mission, and he came to save sinners. So if Jesus can come into this world to save sinners, then we must tell others about it. That is our mission and the mission of the church. And then there's the personal application. We are sinners. He has saved us. We must apply that to our lives. 
And so that is point number one for today. We are all sinners. Now this is the critical step to starting a life modeled after Jesus. Jesus is not a sinner. He was perfect. Uh, but he lives the life that we need to strive to be just like him, knowing that we are only saved by his grace. But for us to be holy, we have to recognize that we are all sinners. We can't be saved unless we admit that we need saving. Now, sometimes that point in our lives, the point that we realize that we need help, we need to be saved, sometimes that point comes when we get a little bit of a taste of, of heaven. Like maybe we receive a really nice blessing. Uh, we are blessed either by God or by one of God's people or somehow we receive this really nice blessing and, and we think, boy, that is great and I'm so glad to have that and I recognize that there's nothing I could have done to deserve that. Sometimes it's that taste of a blessing, taste of heaven that helps us to admit we're not perfect. We need saving. Sometimes it's a, it's a little taste of hell that causes us to admit that we are a sinner. Well, something bad happens. Uh, everything that we've done uh, leads to a worse position, and we've made a big mistake, and, and we receive forgiveness from maybe those around us. Maybe we realize that God forgives us. And we, we know that, boy, we've bombed it. We've done something bad and realize we need saved from that situation. You know, if you don't grab hold of salvation, uh, then you can't be saved. If you don't grab hold of it and accept it, then it's not there for you. Think of it this way, in the ocean, if you are thrown overboard by the storm and someone throws a life-preserving ring tied onto a rope out to you, then you have to grab onto that ring to get pulled into the boat so that you don't drown. You could choose not to grab hold of it. Oh, I, I got this. I can tread water forever. I can swim really well. No need to throw it to me. I'm fine. And well, you can't swim forever. You can't do it on your own. You have to reach out and grab hold of the float line to be saved. This is the first step of becoming a Christian. We have to realize that we can't do it on our own. It's all about grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor, unmerited favor. And God's grace is more than sufficient. It is greater than all of your sin. It's greater than all of your sin. Is everyone okay with that? That God's grace is greater than your sin? Now, I, th I think we should all realize that. We should all come to the point to say, I need God's grace every day. And more importantly, instead of saying, I need God's grace, 
we should be able to say, I want God's grace. I want God's grace. Now, I'm more than okay with God's grace being more than enough. But uh, often we don't understand that because, well, we don't understand God's great patience. Patience. Well, what can we compare it to? What can we compare God's patience to? Certainly not our own. Our patience, oh, it only lasts for a little while. God has great patience. This past week, if you were here last week, you heard a little bit about my boat situation. So I've been working on this boat, those of you who weren't here, for about six months now. It's been a father, son, and daughter, uh, you know, type of a big monumental project to get this engine built. I bought it cheap. The engine was fried. And, and uh, we got it running in the driveway, and then we took it to the lake this past week. And um, so the report is that the boat floats really well. <laughs> doesn't leak. The engine doesn't even leak. Completely dry inside. And the engine runs, but it won't go more than a couple miles per hour, unfortunately. So this past week, in my vacation at the lake, um, we, we worked on the boat. Worked on the boat. And, and, and we worked on the boat some more. And um, it got to where, uh, you know, we would find something, oh, it's got to be the carburetor. And so we'd pull the carburetor apart and, we'd, and you know, make a bunch of adjustments. And, and then we replaced plug wires and spark plugs and then the coil and then this and that and, and all kinds of different things. And finally, we would, we would call somebody and, and they would give us advice. And we'd say, boy, that has got to be it. And we couldn't wait to get back to the boat because this is going to be the problem that fixes the boat. And we would work on it and then, no, it wouldn't. And just over and over and over again for several days and patience wore thin, until finally I was like, enough, enough. We're going to have to salvage this vacation somehow. So we went fishing from the bank. <laughs> Patience. You know, I wonder how God was patient with Paul. Paul's the fellow who's writing this to us, by the way. Paul says, because of his great patience, even the worst of sinners. And Paul says, that is me, by the way. You know, I'll bet God confronted Paul a number of times throughout his life. I just imagine that God came to Paul when Paul was in the temple worshiping God. I'll bet that uh, God came to him while he was hearing scripture and God said, hey, Paul, I want you to know Jesus. Well, Paul didn't pay attention to him. I'll bet uh, when he was praying to him, God was there telling him. I'll bet uh, when Jesus came to the earth and when Jesus was on the cross, Paul heard about that. God was saying, hey, Paul, I'm going to use you for a great thing. I'll bet that's what God did. But Paul wouldn't have anything to do with it. 
to the point where Paul was standing there as Stephen was being stoned and Stephen was killed. I wonder what God was saying to Paul right then. Paul, wake up. I got some things for you to do. Pay attention to me. Accept Jesus. But Paul didn't. Did God give up? God didn't give up on Paul. He kept after him. Kept after him, and then finally he had to strike Paul blind. He had to knock Paul in the dirt to get his attention. God was patient with Paul. Why? Why? We wonder why was God patient with him? Why is God patient with us sinners? Here's what Paul says. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he saved Paul. And he saved others because of his work through Paul. And why, again, we would ask? It's because God has mercy with purpose. God has mercy with purpose. And sometimes we think that um, God saves us without any reason at all, like he doesn't have a motive, he doesn't have a purpose, but he absolutely does, and his mercy is given to us with a purpose. In the scripture that we just read, Paul says, I am a prime example. A prime example. Now, how, do, how many of us think about ourselves as being a, a fine example, a good example? You know, we can, we can set a good example for other people. Maybe it's by how you act or how you perform or the good deeds that you... We can set a good example for other people so that our kids can be like us. We want to set a good example. Or we can set a bad example. We can do the wrong things. We can tell our children, don't do like Dad does. We can hope that other people don't follow in our footsteps because we are setting a bad example. Maybe in your past you have set a bad example. Good examples, bad examples. But God can use us as prime examples. Prime examples. Now let me exclaim, let me explain what he means by that prime example. You see, Paul started out to be a bad example, like maybe many of us started out to be. Uh, he was persecuting the Christians. Um, like I said, he stood by as a Christian was killed, Stephen. Bad example. And then Paul was a good example, spreading the gospel spreading the good news of salvation through Jesus to um, everyone everywhere that he could get a hold of. Started out as a bad example and then turned into a good example. But this says that he could use me as a prime example. What makes Paul a prime example was that he accepted the grace that... Jesus gave him, and his grace was sufficient. Are you a prime example? 
whether you're a good example or a bad example or not, doesn't make necessarily a difference eternity-wise. It's whether you are a prime example. Have you accepted Christ's gift of salvation? I hope so. I hope you have. A lot of times we just focus too much on ourselves. Oh, we don't accept grace because we feel like we... We don't deserve it. That's true. We don't deserve grace. But God loves us enough to want us to have it. If you don't accept grace for yourself, at least accept grace so that you can be a prime example. You see, we need to have a they too kind of perspective. Let me explain what this means. Uh, uh, Paul says, Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. The reason that we accept Jesus and continue to make disciples is so that they too can believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. We want others to receive eternal life. Why would we not want that? Why would we want to keep that from other people? We don't want to live in hell. Why would we want others to live there? So for his honor and glory, we share it with others. The they too mentality. Honor and glory to God forever and ever. Now this honor and glory goes to God who lives forever and the honor and glory is because we are saved. God has mercy with purpose. So, he came into this world to save sinners. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Our purpose that God has had mercy on us for is to share the gospel message. Oh, and one more thing. We have to get a hold of this faith and love thing. Faith and love. Without faith, there is no follow through. We can't take the next step without having faith. We have to have faith to take the next step because life is a struggle bus if we're doing it like Jesus wants us to. It'll be a struggle. But the more and more we get to doing it that way, the easier it gets, and the more we realize peace and joy come from the struggle. Without faith, there's no follow-through. And without love, there's no commitment. Remember when Jesus tells us about the good shepherd? You read it in John chapter 10. Um, he says, when the wolves are coming out, when the wolves are coming to get the sheep, the hired hand drops his staff and runs because he doesn't want to fight for those sheep and there's too many wolves and so he's running scared. He doesn't have skin in the game. It's just a job for him. But the good shepherd runs towards his sheep. He runs to his sheep. His love for his sheep 
make him committed to them. Remember Jesus when he was walking to Jerusalem that last week of his uh, life on this earth in his flesh. He was walking to Jerusalem and he looked towards Jerusalem knowing what he was walking into. He picked up his staff, a staff that looked like a cross. Everybody around said, there's Jesus picking up his cross and carrying his cross. But boy, I think it makes more sense that that was a staff that he used to defeat the devil. He ran towards his sheep because he loved them. Without faith, there's no follow through. And without love, there is no commitment. Jesus was absolutely committed to us when he gave his life on the cross. Paul talks about being trustworthy. He says that Jesus considered him trustworthy. Can you be counted as trustworthy? You've been appointed to serve. Can you be trusted to serve? We trust the folks that are appointed to serve in our military, those that uh, are going to fight for our country. We trust that they will do what they can to uphold the commands that they are given to keep us safe. You've been appointed to serve your Lord and Savior. Can you be trusted to do what he tells you? Mm. Sometimes when we... we uh, know better, but we don't do better. So what we need to focus on is when we know better, do better. You know, sometimes you ignore those little things that you think about, oh, I probably shouldn't do this, but you do it anyway. That's never a good idea. Let's just stop doing that. When we know better, do better. Paul says, he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blasphemy the name of Christ. In my insolence, ignorance, I persecuted his people. Now, the word for insolent, by the way, is, is a boldly rude or disrespectful, contemptuously impertinent and insulting. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Remember your mom or dad would, uh, would say, you know better than that. And probably you did, because you just chose to do the wrong thing anyway. I wonder, I wonder if God ever looks down on us and says, you know better than that. Why'd you do it? Because we make those kind of choices a lot. We need to not make excuses as well. The question is, are you going to be trustworthy to serve him in the power of his strength? All day long, say, man, I, I can't do it because I don't have what it takes. I don't have the gift. I'm not a people person. Or I'm 
don't have that much energy, or I don't know enough, I don't have enough time to study that much. Those are excuses. Are you going to be trustworthy to serve him in the power of his strength? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I wouldn't do it in my own strength. Uh, None of us can be effective ministers of the gospel message if we're not doing it in the strength of Jesus. We need his strength to do it. We need to be trustworthy in what God wants us to do, uh, not what we want to do. Oftentimes, uh, the most helpful person is the person who does just exactly what you ask them to do, you know, the specific thing that you ask them to do. Uh, maybe, maybe if we can put this into perspective of, of someone working on our new building, um, which I haven't been over there for a while, but the workers have been working very hard over there, and it is looking really nice. But I imagine <clears throat> if um, one fellow were to start driving nails, and maybe he drove nails halfway into a whole line of boards here because he hadn't gotten these boards lined up perfectly like they needed to be lined up, but he was going to come back and use his square to get them just perfect and then drive the nails the rest of the way in, but he's all the way down here, and he needs to move this board, but it's a little too tight, so he has to use a hammer, but he doesn't have a hammer, so he hollers to that guy back there, hey, can you bring me a hammer? I need a hammer, and then he goes back to work. Well, the guy uh, over here that needs to bring the hammer um, grabs the hammer up, sees half-driven nails, And he thinks, okay, I can help out. And he starts driving these nails all the way in. And by the time he gets to the fellow that needed the hammer, he looks back and the the fellow realizes, oh, no, I'm going to have to go through and pull all those nails and realign them all, and all because I asked for a hammer. Now, if the relationship between these two guys is really good and they work together every day, that kind of help can work out. But oftentimes it leads to a lot more trouble and a lot more work. If our relationship with God is really good, and we're reading his word and praying to him uh, every day, then it's easier for us to go ahead and do what we know God wants us to do. But, man, that, that's not the case. We're not all the time in God's word and knowing exactly what his wants. So it's always best if we just bring him the hammer. We just do what he says he wants us to do, the next thing that he's asking us to do. I think about Paul. He was given the task of giving the good news to the Gentiles. He was to take the word of God, the word of Jesus, and his saving grace to the Gentiles. Now, Paul did... Uh, preach the gospel to some Jewish folks, but he focused on the Gentiles because God wanted him to. Now, what if he didn't take them, take the word of God to the Gentiles? That's probably a meaningless waste of time to think about the what ifs. You know, what if Paul wouldn't have? Well, if Paul wouldn't have done that, then, well, I'm sure God would have found another way, but. Uh, Theoretically, if, if, if we were able to humor the situation, then 
you and I wouldn't know about Jesus because the good news wouldn't have been taken to the Gentiles. But Paul did exactly what God had told him to do, to take the word of God about Jesus to the Gentiles. The scripture says, very specifically, trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the good news. Can you be counted trustworthy to accept salvation? That's the first step. It is very trustworthy saying. We have to accept salvation, accept that we are a sinner. And then can we be counted trustworthy to share it with others, to save them too? They too mentality. That's why Jesus came, and that's what he's asking you to do. Sometimes we come up with big old fancy plans to do the Lord's will. Maybe we just need to be telling folks, Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me and you. If you're not at that point in your life, then uh, there's no better time to come to that point today, to accepting salvation and to decide to give the good news to others who need it as well. Today is the day that the Lord has made, and he's made it with us in mind. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time to read your word. And I ask that you would help us to be strong. And thank you so much for your grace and for your mission to make disciples, to share love with our community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.